All right. Well, hey, welcome everybody to our November uh, 2019 uh, Google Educator Group Meeting for uh, GEG Ohio. This is a monthly meeting where we take a look at everything new in G Suite from the last month. We share Google tips and tricks, and we answer questions related to using Google tools in school. Uh, my name is Eric Kurtz, even though I may not sound like myself at the moment, uh, battling a bit of a upper respiratory uh, infection over the last few days, but I'm on the mend, uh, feeling much better. Just unfortunately, uh, my voice is not not quite there, so uh, um just be, please bear with me as we work through this here today. Uh, I am a technology integration specialist at the Stark Portage Area Computer Consortium, or SPARC for short. Uh, we're an information technology center serving schools in Northeast Ohio. Um, however, even though we keep mentioning Ohio, uh, this meeting is open to anyone, uh, whether you're in Ohio or outside of Ohio, as long as you've got an interest in Google tools, we're happy to, that you're here. Um, and uh, speaking of my failing voice here today, thankfully, I do not have to uh, uh, take care of this meeting all by myself. I am, as always, joined by by Stephanie. And so I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw that over to you and let you introduce yourself uh, as well. Hey, everyone. So Stephanie Howe here. I'm with Pickerington Local School District, um, and I just help students and teachers use technology in powerful ways. And I'm so excited to have everybody joined in today right before Thanksgiving break. So hopefully you enjoy this November update. Fantastic. And we will be joined later on by Ann Radefeld, um, uh, probably a little bit later in the meeting when we get closer to the show and tell portion of it. And Ann's going to share some great resources with us. Um, we um, always love to get a chance to hear from other folks. And each month we try to have on a special guest uh, this month, uh, Ann will be, will be with us. Um, now, all of the resources for today's meeting can be found in our Google Doc editable agenda which is located on the GEG Ohio website at bit.ly slash GEG Ohio. Once you get to that website, you can just scroll down to the link for the monthly meetings. And once you get there, you'll see a list of all the meetings, such as today's meeting and a link that will take you to the agenda document. We definitely encourage you to follow along in that document. It is an editable document, so please feel free to add your own content to it. If you want to type right in the document, that is fantastic. Feel free to add anything to the upcoming events or to what's new in G Suite if you know of an update that we missed, uh, or definitely add things to the Q&A section if you have any questions or you have an answer to provide for one of the questions there. And of course, show and tell. This is a great place to share any great resources you've come across recently, uh, maybe a blog post you've written, a cool extension you found, a great activity. Uh, please feel free to share that link that in there so we can all benefit from uh, the resources that you have. Um, and of course, you can also leave comments in the document. That is certainly fine. If you prefer to just uh, highlight some text and hit the little comment button, uh, you can just go ahead and leave a little comment in the side. And we also do have the comment feature turned on on YouTube. So for those that are watching live, feel free to throw something in the YouTube chat as well between Stephanie and myself. We'll do our best to keep an eye on uh, all of the comments, whether they're in the document or in the YouTube chat and make sure we can incorporate all of your suggestions and questions. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and jump on into the agenda and get this meeting started. Um, so we already did our little introductions uh, with Stephanie and myself. Um, 
under important links, the only thing that I'm going to highlight is what I do each meeting, which is our sign-in form. Um, we do ask that you take a moment to click on this link to get to the sign-in form, which allows you to um, pick today's date, and to indicate um, if this is the first time you've attended one of our Google user group meetings or not. Uh, this information is used in two ways. Number one, I use it to generate a PDF certificate of attendance that um, I email out between the meetings. Um, so that way you can get credit for being a part of this meeting. And then secondly, we do send in numbers to Google. I don't send in any personal information. So your name and email, that's just so that I can do your certificate. But I do use this to be able to send to Google uh, the quantity of people who attended the meetings because that is something that they do want to track and whether or not it was your first time or not um, attending one of these. So um, please do take a moment when you get a chance and fill that out under the important links, the sign in form. Uh, below that, we do have a section called updates where we just talk about uh, the group itself. Um, we do still maintain the old uh, GEG Ohio Google Plus community. There's over 2,000 members in that. Um, unfortunately, now Google Plus is a little bit more limited. Um, you are no longer able to use Google Plus with a personal Gmail account. You have to use a school uh, G Suite for Education account. So I know some folks are not able to participate in that anymore. If you are able to though, please feel free to join uh, this, um, this community. We still do share resources there. However, because we want to make sure everybody can participate, we did set up a new um, back in the summertime, a new GEG Ohio Google group, an email distribution group. And there are directions here for how to join that group, either by going to the website or by sending an email to the group. This is just a great way to be able to stay in touch with everybody in between the meetings. If you got a question, if you got a resource, if there's something you need to share and connect with all the other educators in and around Ohio on Google tools, uh, the GEG Ohio Google group is a great way to do that. I would encourage you to uh, sign up for that today. All right, the next section that we're going to take a look at are the upcoming events. Um, and so this would be typically a little bit more Ohio-centric. So I do apologize for those people that are from outside of the Ohio area. Um, some of these may not apply to you as much, uh, but um, for those that are in and around here, hopefully one of these will be valuable for you. Um, I will mention the first one, then I'll turn it over to Stephanie for the second. Uh, the first one is a uh, applied digital skills workshop that is coming up in December. Uh, so this is one I'll actually be running at uh, Nowaka up in Archbold. Um, and this is December 17th from 9 a.m. to noon. This is a totally free workshop. Google's been providing these all over the country for the last uh, year or so on their applied digital skills curriculum. So if you're anywhere in Northwest Ohio, if you're up in that corner of the state, um, this would be a wonderful workshop to attend or to uh, let folks in your school know about. It basically is a three-hour workshop where you'll learn all the ins and outs of how to use the applied digital skills curriculum with students and adult learners. If you're not familiar with applied digital skills, there's some more details there or feel free to drop me an email and let me know if you need more details on that. Um, and then the next one, Stephanie, I'll turn that over to you. Um, so the next one is my school district. We have an innovation conference and it is January 17th. Uh, we've been doing it for the last couple years. And before it was just open to Pickerington Local School employees. And this year we're opening about 100 spots um, for educators that are outside of Pickerington. Um, and we always have a really big keynote. So this year we're having Michael Bonner. He was at ISTE this past year. 
and he did the closing keynote at ISTE and he um, is really big on relationships. And then we're also having Jimmy Cassis, who's gonna close us out and he's gonna kind of help our principals too um, in some of the sessions. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Um, if you are interested in attending, you do have to get selected to present. So on that page, there's an area where you can sign up to um, put in your application to present. And if you are chosen, you could maybe be um, at our innovation conference. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Again, it is gonna be kind of competitive because there's only a limited number of spots, um, but it's gonna be a really good conference. It's one of my favorite days of the entire year. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, very good. And yes, I do remember Michael Bonner from uh, the closing at ISTE. So that is, you, uh, you guys have some great, great folks that you've had there. Um, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, the next one up is uh, Neotech. So this would be um, my corner of the state. So Northeast Ohio. So if you're up in the Akron-Canton area, Cleveland area, anywhere in Northeast Ohio, you certainly know about Neotech. It's been going on for many years. Um, very similar to the Spark Conference that we do in August. Um, this is the one done by, by Neonet. Um, and um, this year it's going to be March 16th and 17th at the John S. Knight Center in Akron. Um, I would say the key thing here would be to save the date, get this on your calendar, but also do notice that uh, proposals are now being accepted and they will close uh, January 20th. So a little bit of time still to get that in, about two months, but you will want to uh, participate in that. It is a, uh, it's always been an excellent conference and I've, I've enjoyed attending and presenting for many, many, many years. And then the final conference that's on the list is the Ohio Google Summit. Um, so they are accepting presentations now. So you'll wanna make sure you get those in by January 15th. Um, we are not meeting, I believe in December because of all the holidays. So we right. just wanted to make sure that that's out there because by the next meeting, it will be closed. Um, so if you do wanna present, make sure you put in. It's really easy, it's a Google form. It's pretty quick and simple. Um, so hopefully I see some of you guys there. That is fantastic. That is a great conference. And thanks for the reminder that you're right with, with, uh, with December being, you know, Christmas break and so forth. Uh, we will not be doing a GEG Ohio meeting in December. Also, it tends to be that we notice things slow down a bit as far as um, Google's announcements and new releases and stuff. Typically, December is a really light month. So we'll just roll all of those into the January meeting, anything that does come out in, in the next month. All right, well, that brings us to one of the largest sections of our meeting each month, and that is what is new in G Suite for Education? Because we all know Google is a moving target. They're constantly releasing new uh, features and resources. And so one thing that Stephanie and I try to do is just Keep our, you know, keep our eyes open for anything new that gets announced and try to bring it all together in one place for you. Understand life is crazy and busy and you don't have time to keep up on all these things. And so the idea is to give you a one-stop shop here to know what happened in the last month with G Suite uh, so that you're not caught off guard and you can get uh, ahead of it in, in case any of these new updates might, might affect you. Now, we're not going to go through every one of these. As you can see, we have bolded certain ones that for one reason or another, Stephanie or I saw and thought, oh yeah, that's one we you know, would, would really like to talk about. Having said that, I would encourage you to check out all of the links if there's something here that we're not talking about that you are interested in. Um, those links are all available there. And also let us know if there's one that you do want us to talk about. If you have a question on something that we skip over, that is uh, 
Awesome. All right. Um, well, Stephanie, would you like to get us started off with what's new in G Suite for Education? I can. So the first link um, is learning how to use Google Sheets with Coursera. And this is a great way because I know a lot of people want to know more about Google Sheets. And it can be kind of confusing with all the different formulas and everything. So this is kind of a great way to start learning about it with this course. Yeah, and it's free, which is nice. Yeah, I know that with, I mean, Coursera has been around for a long time. And I, I don't know if you remember when MOOCs were like a really, really big thing. Um, and everybody thought MOOCs, you know, what is it, massive um, online open courses. Um, you know, we thought, oh, they're going to take over the world and, you know, everybody's going to learn through MOOCs. And you, you still can. I mean, there's a lot of really valuable um, content out there. Um, and I think sometimes we forgot about it. It's like it kind of, you know, at least in, in, in K-12 education, I think, you know, we kind of forgot a little bit about it. Well, Google is using Coursera to host this particular course on Google Sheets. And yeah, it's free and you, you can take it any time that you want. Um, and it looks like the content covers, you know, from basics to formulas to, you know, creating, you know, pivot tables as far as, as you want to get into it. So always nice to see free training available. So, you know, if that's something you were looking to bone up on a little bit. And there's Excellent. always so much that you can do with Google Sheets that I feel like we don't utilize in education. I think teachers are sometimes scared of Google Sheets. So right. I think too, as a tech coach, if you could go ahead and introduce that to teachers. And plus it's on a setting where they're able to go at it self-paced. Right. Um, and so that might be a really good resource that you could share out with teachers. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Sheets is such a powerful tool. Um, you know, once people get turned on to what you can do with it, um, it really can be uh, just a, a constantly used tool. I mean, I think I use Google Sheets every day in my job one way or another to a lot of times just to make life easier for people to let the technology do some of the heavy lifting so that um, instead of, um, you know, you taking time to, you know, work through all of this data, the, the, the sheet can do it for you and you can spend time uh, working with people instead. <laughs> so uh, good stuff. All right. The next uh, news item that caught our attention was uh, good news for Chromebooks. So it looks like um, Google has recently um, extended the life of over 100 Chromebooks as far as how long they will get their updates um, and support. Um, so this article from 9to5Google from links out to an article on Android Police. And so if you go to the first article, then you find the link to the Android Police article. Then you'll get to the real details on here where they have this chart where they've shown all of these different Chromebook models and what used to be the end of life date for them and now what the new end of life date is. Now, it's not every one of them didn't get a year, but for the most part, most Chromebooks got an extra year, in some cases, two years, in some cases, six months, but for the most part, about another year of of support that they'll be getting for updates, which is great. Again, you can certainly use a Chromebook after it doesn't get the updates anymore, but uh, understandably, it becomes a, a security risk at that point. And I totally understand why that would be a concern for schools. So this is great news that we'll have um, a little bit more life in the Chromebooks that we do have. All right. And then what's up next? The next one is um, text boxes and Google Sites. They're going to kind of look a lot cleaner. 
Um, rather than having a bunch of text all over a Google site, you can see that there's a drop down on this GIF and um, you can then now see more text as you click that little arrow, which just kind of will help students organize their thoughts um, as they're searching on a website. It's not going to be as text heavy. And so then they can quickly see, okay, I need to go to this section on this website. They can click the down arrow and read more. Um, just yeah. making a lot cleaner look. That's nice. You know, you think, I probably see that a lot of times with like um like a help page or an FAQ type of a page. Um, and we haven't had that option in Google Sites to build those before, but now we, we could do that. You know, because I see that a lot of times, like when I go to like one of the Google help sites, you'll see all of the questions, you'll click and it'll expand. So nice that Google Sites will now allow us to do the same thing. Well, that's good. Um, I know we've still got a ways to go with Google Sites, getting the new version to be completely on par with the old version. But this is a feature that the old version didn't even have. Um, so that's kind of neat to see that they've added this in. I know there's still a few things that we're missing, like page level permissions and some other things like that, that we still want to see from the old version. But good for them. Awesome. All right, let's see what's up next. Oh, hey, we finally got an update on adding audio to Google Slides. Um, so when this, I mean, how long ago has this been now? I think audio first got announced back in like March or April. I mean, this has been like a long time ago um, that they announced that we could, that we'd be able to use audio in Google Slides. And a lot of, um, domains did get that feature pretty quickly. So like if I go in to create a new slideshow and I go to my insert menu, I could insert audio. Well, that worked on one of my domains. This is my school domain, but it didn't show up on my trainer domain. It didn't show up on my personal uh, Google account. Um, and so it was apparently there were some issues with the rollout. They were having some technical problems and Google kept saying, okay, we're going to eventually get it out to everybody. Well, thankfully it should pretty much be there now because uh, the scheduled release domains uh, starting on November 11th uh, with up to 15 days needed. So that would get us up to the 27th. So that's tomorrow or 26th. That's today. Uh, so hopefully, Hopefully everybody now has this feature that if you go into Google Slides, you can insert audio into your slide and then just, of course, you have to pick the audio from your drive. So there's a few more steps. I mean, it does involve recording the audio ahead of time, putting it in your drive, making sure it's shared, and then you can grab it out of your drive. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that eventually this will get even better and you'll just click, you know, insert audio and there'll be a record button and you can, you know, either say from drive or record new. That'll be really nice um, when that happens. Um, but at least now, most of us are all on the same page because I know um, I've shared a lot about, you know, activities you can do with this, but not everybody could take advantage of them. So... Uh, glad to see that that has now um, made it out, hopefully, to everybody. And Eric, I added your blog post about the audio features because I've oh, used sure. this in the past, yeah. which has been really helpful for, because some of my teachers had audio and then others did not. So it was right. kind of like half and half. And so this website that Eric created, um, his blog post about audio really helps because there is no insert option, like he said. And so this allows you to kind of use some other websites or extensions in place of 
um, not having that insert button. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I really wish we could just exactly. I wish we could just um, record the audio directly in Google Slides. Um, but for now, um, we do that recorded ahead of time. And so that's right. In this blog post, I did mention four different tools like online voice recorder or beautiful audio editor or twisted wave that are totally free. They're all cloud-based. Now, feel free to use whatever audio recording tool you want, of course. Uh, but these are some that would work on Chromebooks. They would work really pretty much for anybody to record your audio. And then the rest of the blog post goes into the details of, so how do you then get that audio you know, put into your drive. And then once it's in your drive, how do you get it into your slideshow? So thanks for linking that in. Good and day. also just to be aware, I know some of the audio websites um, require Flash to play and use. Um, Flash is going away, I believe, at yes. the end of next year. So 2020, um, I think it's like December 2020, maybe. Um, so just be aware of that, that some of those websites that you might use that use Flash, I know there's a couple audio, right. um, I forget what the one's called. Well, Vo well Vocaroo yeah, would be okay. a good okay. example. Now they're working yeah. on a beta that's okay. not Flash based. Um, and I've heard people talk about it. I tried to try it. I tried to test it out, but was not able to access it. So they must still be working on it. But yeah, Vocaroo is a good example. You're right. People have used that for a long time, but it's flash based. Yeah. Yeah. So just be aware of that. Um, as you go to websites that Google Chrome, I mean, there's a bunch of different web browsers that will not support flash anymore. Right. And that's an important thing. I really do try to be very careful when I share any kind of resources. I've stopped sharing any flash resources probably about, I'm going to say a good year or two ago. I just, you know, cause I knew that was coming. And so whenever I do a, one of my blog posts or if I do like my monthly tech links of the month for math and science and all those different things, if I come across something that's flash based, I have no longer been including them because it's just, unfortunate. They're going to go away. So I don't want to get people excited about a tool that's not going to be working. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do we have here next? So the next one is um, kind of the way that Google Sites, I feel like they're making a ton of updates with Google Sites. I know before it was like Google Classroom. Now it's like Google Sites is kind of their focus, I feel like. Um, so rather than it being on the right side of the screen, you can now have it on the left and it's adding more languages too. Excellent. Well, that is fantastic. We, you know, keep talking so much about um, in my job about um, making sure that, you know, we're meeting the needs of all of our students and families. And, you know, they're not always, you know, having English as their primary language. And so any tool that is going to help us bridge that gap um, is uh, very welcomed. Great update. Well, now the next one maybe seems like just a silly fun thing, but the reason why I linked it in was because of the, 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 uh, the AI portion of this. Um, so basically, Google is constantly working on artificial intelligence advancements. And recently, they had worked on some AI that could detect the pitch at which somebody was speaking or singing. And then after they had developed that AI, they're like, well, how can we show it off? What can we do with it to show that, you know, it, it works. <laughs> and so what we did was um, we, oh, there we go. 
um, they added in this um, uh, tool, um, which is the Freddy meter. And it allows you to go in and see if you can sing like Freddie Mercury. And so I've tried this out. I am not going to do that <laughs> in the meeting here today. I am not going to do that today. But I did, I did try this out. Um, I, uh, I sang Bohemian Rhapsody a couple times, you know, to, to keep trying it out and see how good of a percentage I could get. Uh, spoiler alert, my percentage was not very high. <laughs> uh, but the idea is the artificial intelligence listens to you sing and then tries to see how well your pitch matches, you know, the actual original song. Um, I guess, the again, it's, it's cute, it's fun, you know, it's, it's a neat, you know, little, uh, um, you know, example of how this tool can work. But for me, what I get excited about anytime I see these things is the constant improvement in artificial intelligence um, that we're, you know, getting, you know, more and more ways for the computer to be able to interact with people, understanding words, understanding images, understanding syntax, and now even uh, being able to identify pitch. So I uh, just wanted to, yeah, anybody that knows me knows I'm a big AI geek. So I um, wanted to you know, take at least a moment to mention, you know, that and uh, could still also just be a fun thing to do. Come on, who doesn't want to sing like Freddie Mercury? So if you haven't tried it out, do take it for a spin. Oh, somebody's saying, come on, Eric, sing, no star. <laughs> I, well, actually being sick wouldn't make much difference. And the fact that my, of course, that could be my excuse now. I could say, oh, the reason I can't is because I've got this respiratory infection. But even when I wasn't sick, no, no, my percentage still <laughs> wasn't too good. But hey, maybe, maybe at one of our upcoming uh, conferences, if there's some ed tech karaoke, perhaps I'll get up on the stage and uh, we'll try it out. But <laughs> all right, let's keep on going. What's up next, Stephanie? Um, the next one is pronouncing words. So this is a really exciting feature. And I feel like this is also going to help with vocabulary a little bit too. Um, so it's going to help with the different languages. So right now they're working on the Spanish to English type of feature um, to help people, you know, practice pronouncing different words that is a most commonly searched, I'm sure, with Google. So I feel like, you know, you're defining words and then you're trying to learn how to pronounce things. So you can actually listen to it and then you can also practice and it will tell you if you did a good job or not. Um, oh. That's as so you're cool. practicing it. And I just feel like this is really going to be huge as it keeps growing, not only just like with the translation between Spanish to English, but also maybe like with vocab words. I know a lot of times students struggle with practicing it and saying it. So this would give them yeah. an opportunity and then they can get that immediate feedback on how they did on saying it. Um, also, it kind of shows them that mouth feature. Yes. Um, which I think kind of would help students to see, like, how does your mouth need to be, um, I'm trying to think, like, what the right word is. Like, how does your mouth need to function, like, right. formulate those yeah, words? right. Because um, some people need to see that. Especially, like, I know hard of hearing. If you have a hard sure. time hearing, you, you do look at people's mouths more than um, I might. And so that's very important for you. So I just feel like they're making this very accessible for everybody. And then there's also working on the visuals to help explain that word's meaning, which is huge with vocabulary. Um, I know when you're able right. to show pictures to students, it really helps deepen their understanding of vocabulary words. Yeah. So I really see this feature being huge 
Well, that's great. And again, I imagine it's very similar to the Freddie Mercury thing. It's the artificial intelligence is that it's listening to you pronounce these words. So it's, 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 you know, pronouncing it for you, but then you can practice it. And I love how it breaks it down and says, okay, well, you were close, but here's where you made a mistake. Here's where you didn't quite get the right vowel sound or you didn't, you know, pronounce the consonant correctly. And then you can keep practicing that until you're able to speak it properly. Uh, great for accessibility, great for fluency, great for foreign language, great for, oh, wow, that's really neat. Yeah, so, and I love how it tells you exactly where you missed. Like, it sounds like you missed it at this letter. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Good stuff. And I believe that's just on mobile at the moment. Um, so, you know, you could check that on on your phone. Um, and um, who knows, maybe that'll come to desktop eventually as well. All right, next up, uh, Classroom, Google Classroom um, rolled out rubrics um, a couple months ago here in, in beta. I do have the beta um, set up here in my domain, and I've played with it a, a little bit. Um, the big uh, news was that rubrics could now be reused. Uh, when it was first set up, what was happening was um, when you would create a rubric, um, it was just for that particular assignment. But now when you go in in classroom to use a rubric, you'll have the option to reuse an, ex an existing rubric that you've, that you've had before. And so this could be either from the class you're in or it could be from another class. Let's see if it'll let me refresh this. Oh, I was hoping it would let me refresh. Oh, here it comes. I was going to play that again on the screen. There we go. Um, and you can pull rubrics from other classes as well. So when you go to rubric now, instead of create rubric, you can choose reuse and you can pick the class you want to grab it from. So what's nice is you could just basically set up, you know, a, a single rubric that you use over and over and over again for a certain type of an assignment. And that'll just save a lot of time of having to go through, um, you know, and recreate that each time. So good stuff. Right. Yeah, and I know we were just talking about how we would like that feature, I think, back in September. So it's really cool to see that Google did add it. Yeah, good deal. Um, All right, what's up next? The next one, so another Google Sites update. Um, they are allowing, it did get pushed back. So um, it says like updated on November 25th that it is paused for right now um, because they're working on updating the performance. So it's kind of like that audio feature, yep. but it is coming soon. But this is gonna be really nice, especially I could see it for um, parents that you might have like a website and there's, you might've forgot how to contact you. So there's gonna, if you turn this feature on, um, I think once you create new sites, it will be automatically on, but any pre-existing ones, you will have to turn that little um, show contact form on and save it. But once you have it all set up at the bottom, it's going to say, um, I forget what it says. There's another GIF on the. Yeah, you're right. That, that first one shows turning it yeah. on. Then it's then like the some kind of a little information yeah. button, I guess. And yeah. then you can say like, Oh, this link's broken. It's like their example, but I could see parents. Because a lot of times parents, they need what's convenient for them. And so that button would be right there. They could say, okay, email about homework, put in the question, and then send it right to you. And then they showed an example of what the email will look like too. Right. At the bottom. There we go. Yeah. 
So it's just an easier way to contact people. I know sometimes it is hard to find how to contact the owner of a Google site. Um, so this just makes it really simple to let people know, hey, this link's broken, or if you have more questions, and then you can email them right back. Another nice thing about this, and I don't always think about this, but I know it's been a topic that's come up in a lot of our uh, technology meetings um, when we have like our district tech coordinators get together, is how much information should we put on a website as far as like email addresses because of phishing, you know, issues out there that um, you'll have folks that are being malicious going to a school website and trying to collect as many email addresses as they can. And then using those email addresses with a little, you know, social engineering to try to, you know, send phishing messages to them and uh, get them to think their official messages and maybe give up their password or something like that. And so we've heard more and more encouragement to not have email addresses necessarily just sitting, you know, right out there, you know, on the website, but then you're like, but, we want to contact, you know, we, we still need people to be able to reach us. Well, this is nice because it does allow a way to still get in touch. Even if you don't have your email address just sitting right out there. Um, other things usually that we hear suggestions is for a school district, not maybe putting a personal like a person's email address on the site as contact, but instead creating an email that's something like, you know, info at myschool.org or whatever. And that way it's not, you know, giving away somebody's particular name. So this does fit nicely as well into the privacy and the anti-phishing concerns that some schools have. Yeah. And this is definitely helpful for students that create websites. Yeah. And that would for that feedback because right. I know under the 13 and under age, you want to protect them. And so this yeah. is the way that you could. I love that. Well, the next one up um, definitely is uh, an exciting update. And that is that Google Earth now um, has a project tool that's been added that allows you to create your own tours right inside of Google Earth. So I guess the preface behind this is there have been ways to create tours in the past. And I mean, I know I've shared loads of information about this in webinars I've done and trainings and blog posts. In the past, we basically would either use something like, you know, Tour Builder. Um, and so Tour Builder is Google's uh, tool that allows you to uh, create a tour by dropping, you know, points on a map. Um, and I've probably got loads of like, you know, examples I've done, you know, in the past here. Um, like, oh, this must have just been a demo I was working on. So this one doesn't really have much in it, uh, but that's okay. Uh, but where you could drop, you know, pins on the map. And then for each location on the map, you could add pictures and descriptions and so forth. And that was great. It's, it, 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 it still is. It's a wonderful tool. I love Tour Builder, you know, always suggest people, you know, you know, use that. Um, and when you were done building a tour in Tour Builder, you could go up to the menu in the top right and you could open the tour in Google Earth. So you could export it over to Google Earth. So all of that was great. I mean, that's all good stuff. Um, but what is really nice about this now is it's built right into Google Earth. So um, honestly, if I had, I think this probably is going to be what I'm going to recommend going forward. As much as I love, love, love Tour Builder, this pretty much mimics everything Tour Builder does. 
and a little bit more. It actually gives a few more features and it's built right into Google Earth. So basically the idea now is if I head out over to Google Earth, I'll just go ahead and open up Google Earth and um, it may take it, I should have probably started it earlier because it takes a little, takes a moment or two to launch it here. Um, but when you get into Google Earth now, there's a new button over here on the left called Projects. And if you click on Projects, you can come in and say you want to create a project. And when you create a project, you can now drop onto the globe place marks. You can search for places. You can draw lines and shapes. And for each place, you can add pictures and videos and descriptions. So basically you can make your own tours. So if you've ever used like the Voyager option here in Google Earth to fly through all these different tours, or if you've ever used Google's tour builder in the past, same idea, but now we're doing it, you know, right inside of Google Earth. So what are the benefits? Why, you know, why do we, why would we switch from tour builder over to this? Well, again, it is all in one. You're in Google Earth while you're doing this, so you don't have to then export it later. Um, but some of the other things that are nice is that it is collaborative. And so if you look here in the top, you'll see there's a button that says share project. Um, so this is something that um, you could not do in Tor Builder. Tor Builder was not collaborative. Only one person could edit the tour. Well, here now we can share this as a collaborative tour and we could work together on building uh, the the trip or the, you know, you know, the Lewis and Clark expedition or whatever it is you're mapping out and creating the tour. So that's something that I think is in itself definitely worthwhile because now the kids can work together on the tours. Um, but the other thing that's nice about it is the ability to not just drop places and place marks like you could in Tour Builder, but the ability to draw lines or shapes. So we can actually outline a, a location or draw a line along a path and have that part of the tour. And then they also give you the option to add what they call full screen slides. So while the tour is playing, you can every now and then pause in the middle of the tour to have like a, a, a slide come up that has, you know, a real pretty picture and maybe a subtitle and some additional information before you move on to the next part of the tour. Um, now, I think um, in addition to all of the information that we put in here, which includes um, their tutorials, here's, uh, I think, three different videos that Google put out on the basics of using it, adding features, styling places. They've got a nice help page on it. Um, I believe we have further down in here, I thought in show and tell, yeah. So in show and tell, we've got a couple examples here. Uh, Donnie Piercy did one and Josh Williams did one on man-made disasters and Donnie's is on the solar system. And so if you want to see an example of what could be built with this, you can follow these links and you'll see, it'll take it a moment to open up there. Um, but you can see um, that I've got um, this tour here. And I guess we jumped kind of into the middle of this one. Probably should start back at the start of it. Let's get back to the beginning. There we go. And so this is one of those slides we talked about, how you can have a full screen slide. And then as you move through, it'll fly you in, you know, to the location. In this case, what Donnie was doing with his students was showing a scale representation of our solar system using, you know, locations on our earth to get a feel for, oh my gosh, that's how far or close things would be. So you've got the sun and then you can see how far Mercury would be away. And then, you know, and then you learn about Mercury 
And then as you keep going, you know, we start working through all the different planets here. Well, you can guess eventually as we do this, we're going to get further and further and further away. Um, I want to get to some of the exciting ones here. So once we get past Mars, it'll probably start. There we go. We're going to start jumping out a bit more. So there's Jupiter and you get the idea. Uh, but we, these tours can be used in so many ways. Like we talk about lit trips where you are taking the locations from a novel and putting them all onto the map, or you can be visiting different biomes around the world. Uh, so many possibilities there. So very excited about this, which Unfortunately, it means I guess I have to update a lot of my stuff because uh, for a long time, you know, Google Tour Builder has been my go-to example for creating tours. So I guess it's time for me to update all my stuff because this is probably going to be my, my go-to recommendation going forward on tours. And I think too, with like Tour Creator, if you want students to create the Google Expeditions, you'll want to use that, right? Right, if, right. I don't right. Think do that yet with Google Earth. Um, I don't know if they'll make that or not, but you'll want to use Google Tour Creator. Um, you are correct. That, if that's depending on what your goal is for the lesson. Um, also, it's really cool with the Google Earth because you can add videos and photos and you can add multiple different locations. Um, I see them adding the audio feature just like it does in the Creator. Piece, but for right now it's not available right so you would have to use like a youtube video type workaround for that yeah so really excited um, um great tool and um uh, looking forward to taking the stuff I did in Tour Builder and porting it over to uh, this new project tool and running it through all its paces and uh, hopefully um, have a blog post and a video out sometime in the future on that. But there's lots and lots of great resources that you can dive into and start using it right now. Um, I do see a comment over to the side here um, about... Um, it looks like adding a contact form widget to your site. So in addition to this feedback option here, uh, we do have a link to another tool that could be investigated for leaving feedback. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Stephanie, do you know much about this next one? I went ahead and I took the time and I watched that video. I did not add this in, so I did not know about this. I saw the, well, I saw the blog post and kind of just skipped over it. Um, and then I watched this video and wow, was that insightful. Is, yeah, um, so I suggest watching the video. Um, YouTube's just trying to make it more privacy protection um, along with you know every other website. And the biggest thing that kind of caught my eye was if your videos are not child friendly, but they're labeled that way in YouTube, it's going to cost you some money. Um, I think it's 46,000. Is that right? Oh yeah. There's some, yeah. So, $42,000 per video. Yeah. So we really do need to be careful about uploading videos, 42,000 per video. Um, so I definitely think they are making the YouTube videos um, more kid friendly, which is a good thing, but I think it's going to be just that extra step to think, okay, is this for kids or is it not? And I think people are going to get that fine if they're not, and I see changing happening, especially when there's money involved. <laughs> wow. I, I, this is, yeah, I watched that whole video too. And I got to think, okay, so I guess, you know, I mean, I've got 
you know, I don't know how many videos on my YouTube channel, you know, loads and loads and loads of them. And try to think, oh, so what does this mean for me? Do, you know, I need to go in and label my videos as child-friendly or um, um, because what they were saying was in the video that I watched there, one of the concerns is the discouragement this might cause for some folks because if something is potentially child-friendly, mm-hmm. then it needs to be labeled as child-friendly. Um, and once it's labeled as child-friendly, then a lot of things are going to get turned off for that video. Um, I don't remember all of the things that get turned off for it. Um, I think commenting may even be one of the things that gets turned off on it because it's a, you know, labeled as a child-friendly video. But I do know um, personalized ads will be turned off, um, not contextual ads. So like an ad that deals with the content of the video would still be there. But you know how YouTube kind of watches your search preferences and then it gives you tailored ads. That could not, those will no longer be able to be played on videos that are deemed child-friendly because they don't want to be targeting ads toward children. Um, well, what they're saying is their concern is it's going to discourage a lot of YouTube content creators because if they're making videos that in any way even are remotely child-friendly, maybe they're talking about a game, maybe they're talking about, you know, um, you know, some, like I think of myself, you know, I talk about fun, creative ways to use Google tools in the classroom. Could those be considered child-friendly? Well, if they are, they have to be labeled as such. And at that point, it takes off um, a good chunk of the ads from those videos. Now, I don't monetize any of my videos. I do not any of them whatsoever. Um, so that doesn't affect me. But there's a lot of folks that this is their livelihood. And one of the reasons they're creating really good content on YouTube is because they are making money from it. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that they're able to support themselves with. And the, the person who did this uh, video here, they go into great detail about how, well, <laughs> if my videos have to be listed as child-friendly because I cover things that you know a child could be interested in and I can no longer get the same amount of ad revenue off of it, hmm, I might not be able to make as many videos. So we're not sure yet what ramifications this might have. You know, is this going to start causing some of the really child-friendly channels on YouTube to start drying up? Are people going to not create as much child-friendly content? So good thing to be aware of. Um, I know I'm going to have to dig into this a little bit deeper and make sure that between now and I guess January, uh, go through the, all the videos on my channel and decide whether or not I need to mark them as child friendly or not. Yeah. All right. What are we left with? Just a few more things. Um, looks like our next topic here is on Smart Compose being added to Google Docs. Um, so this one at first glance appears to be a pretty basic um, update, but when I thought about it a little bit more, um, a, a, a second question arose, and I did post it on Twitter and got some interesting uh, feedback from folks. So here's the deal. Most of us are very familiar with Smart Compose for Gmail. I think, we've, you know, I think most of us are very familiar with that. If I start writing an email message, you know, and you say something like, thanks for, and then it 
puts, you know, reaching out, you know, it'll like, you know, put in gray, a suggestion for what it thinks you're trying to type. And then you hit tab and it goes ahead and accepts that, or you just keep typing and ignore the suggestion. So smart compose for Gmail. We've had that for, I don't know, probably a year. And it's nice. I like it. I definitely do. It saves me a lot of time when I'm writing an email message because it kind of figures out probably what I'm going to write. Well, what Google's doing is they're extending Smart Compose to Google Docs in a beta. And so the idea is you could be writing a Google document now. And as you're typing along in your document, it's going to start showing in gray some suggestions for what it thinks you might want to type after the word or phrase you've typed. Now, there's a part of me that gets excited about this and says, hey, I am all for using technology to make our life easier. I love accessibility, accommodations, support. Um, it's a lot like, you know, predictive text. You know, if you've ever used that, uh, read and write for Google has predictive text. A lot of accessibility and accommodation tools have predictive text. So it's a lot like predictive text. And so my first gut reaction is, yes, this is awesome. Anything that helps, you know, kids to get their ideas out is great. But then I started thinking, and again, I don't know where I actually have landed on this yet. I started thinking, well, but is it ever possible to get too much assistance when writing? Because it's not like grammar check. It's not like saying, hey, you already wrote this and we think you used the wrong verb tense. Instead, at what point does it cross over and the AI is actually co-writing with you. Like if I start typing a sentence, I don't know yet until I can actually play with this, how much will it suggest, you know? And is that at that point no longer the student's words? Is it the AI's words that are now getting used and the student's like, oh, I like that. That sounds really good. And they accept the suggestion. Is that too much help is are there going to be teachers who who call that cheating are they going to say you're not writing anymore at this point you're co-writing you're having an artificial intelligence help you write this it's not just correcting your grammar it is suggesting content for your you know your your writing i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the answer is to this um but this is i think one of those first times when it's made me pause and say okay is this, is this too much? And if it's not too much yet, well, oh, Eric, it's only putting out two or three words. You know, it's not like writing the next sentence for you. Okay, but will it someday? You know, I mean, artificial intelligence is getting better all the time. And how much is too much? Is this maybe good for elementary kids? But maybe a high school teacher would say, no, that's too much assistance. You need to just write this on your own. I don't know. Stephanie, do you have any thought about this? Does anybody else in the, um, in the chat have a feeling, you know, at, is there a point where we go too far and the AI is now writing the paper for us rather than just helping us do the best writing we can do? Um, so my teachers had a similar issue with the air testing because spelling is, um, there's no spell check. And so with Google Docs where the kids would practice, they would have spell check on the Google Docs. So we actually had to go in and turn it off um, and teach the teachers how to do that. 
so that they could practice for air, which I kind of struggled with because in the real world, spell check is available. Right. And right. you can use it whenever you need it. Um, you can even, you know, say, hey, Google or whatever you need to do to ask it how to spell a certain word. And that's just the world that we live in right now. So I kind of struggle going back and forth. Like, yeah, they do need to know how to spell. But in today's world, there's so many resources available to them to help them. And if they choose to use those resources or not, you know, kind of going back and forth. Um, so I see this being really helpful for students that do struggle with writing. But we've also kind of used this already with Read and Write. They have this tool already available right, right. in Read and Write. Um, but it gives students, I think, more options than what it seems like Google. Yeah, like um, I've used that too. Like, you know, I'll, I'll type George Washington. I'll, I'll type George and then it'll drop down like 10 suggestions. Yeah. Washington or, you know, Bush or whatever. And I can pick. It's basically the idea that maybe if a student is struggling with typing, yeah. it would save them the time of typing it by saying, is this one of the words you're trying to type? Can we make this faster for you? Right. But I mean, all the time when I use it already with Gmail, because I do use this feature, Right. I mean, it's so much easier. I can just send an email quicker and it is time consuming. <laughs> um, so I do use it. So I don't, I mean, I see the, I see both sides. I guess for me, it would be like, how much prediction is it doing? Now, in this GIF that we're seeing here, it looks like it's only suggesting two or three words mm -hmm. at a time. So uh, probably not enough for me to like really feel like, oh, we've got a red flag here, but I need to get my hands on it. So I went ahead and signed up for the beta. I'm waiting to hear. Um, so there is a link in the article that is linked into the agenda where you can sign up for the beta. So I did do that and I'm waiting to, you know, see how that goes. So once I'm in that, I would like to see, you know, does it, how much help does it really give? Is it really mostly just predictive text? Well, if, okay, that's, that's fine. I mean, we, we get that all the time on our phones right now. You start typing a word and it offers to complete it for you, you know, um, or is it much, much, much more, you know? And so um, my guess is if it's like what we've seen in Gmail, it's not that much. It's, it's a few words. Like I said, it'll try to complete a phrase that I'm in the middle of as opposed to actually, you know, writing the whole thing for me. Although, I don't know, I think we've all probably done this at some point. There's that fun game you play where you put in one word and you just take whatever's suggested and you see what it ends up uh, writing for you. Um, and sometimes some really interesting things come out. Um, I guess what I'm saying is this is the beginning of the first time we've started to see AI suggesting new content in your writing could this grow? Could this, you know, grow in, instead of suggesting two or three words, you know, it's suggesting, you know, a whole sentence or something. Um, so it's just a good, a good discussion. I think these are the things we need to talk about. And you know me, I am not, I mean, I love anything that's new and innovative and it's not like, oh my goodness, you know, well then we can't, you know, use this. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, like you said, Spell check is a part of everyday life, you know, and we still fight against it. You know, um, at, at what point do we, you know, say, okay, well, we may have to reevaluate what writing really means, you know, is, you know, is, does writing have to be absolutely just, you know, nothing but your words 
or can AI work with you to help you be a better writer? And is that still totally valid as a writing option? So I don't know. It's out there. I'd love to hear what people think about it and um, we'll kind of keep an eye on that as we move forward. Yeah. And too, I mean, it would be nice. Like I think Abid said in the chat, um, you can maybe turn it off in the admin console. But then you're, that's right. Yeah. You're turning it off for everybody, um, which can be kind of hard when you've got different classes, different grade bands too. Like you said, like an elementary student compared to high school student might need it. Cause I think in the admin console, aren't you turning it off for everybody? It would depend. Again, okay. until I get in the beta, I'm not sure. I do want to take a look at it. Um, it looks like um, it says once you've been accepting the, the beta, it's turned on and can be disabled by the user. So the user can go into tools and preferences and turn it off. If it is also an admin console feature, most all of those do work by OU. So you can go into the organizational unit that you want to apply things to. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that'll be something we can micromanage in the admin console or if it will be just up to the end user to, to, to uh, turn it on and off. Yeah. And then also it'd be nice if Google eventually, um, like in Google Classroom, the teacher could decide, okay, I want these students to have it turned on, these students to have it turned off, because then you're really differentiating your instruction right. as well. Um, so I don't know if they're thinking about that, but that would be really nice for the teacher to have that ability to turn on and off like spell check or smart compose or whatever. Right, right, right. For that activity. And then they could simply turn it on because I know when you have kids doing it, it can be like, did they do it? Did they not? Um, yeah. Right. So hopefully one day. Oh, we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, Google definitely is getting a lot more granular in the admin console. Most features are configurable by organizational unit. Most things you can go in and say, you know, the seventh graders get this tool versus the eighth graders or however you've broken up your students. Um, all right. Um, so what do we, oops, did we skip one of them here? looks like uh, we may have had, unless you caught that. Um, ah, so Scott uh, was saying, what could this potentially do with Google Classroom's originality reports? Um, if you use too much, will it get flagged? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's a neat crossover. So um, uh, Google Classroom now has the option to run originality reports, which now that we're, it's still in beta right now, you're able to use them unlimited for now. Once the originality reports come out of beta, you'll only, only be able to use them for three assignments per class per year. So like if you're an English teacher, you could pick, you know, the final term paper the kids turn in. You could pick then maybe a semester paper, and then you could pick one more important paper during the year and say, I'm going to use it on that. And basically it's like turn it in. Uh, Google uses all their search features to compare a student's writing against basically the internet and comes back with a report that says, here are all of the areas where your paper sound really, really familiar. And <laughs> it's very similar to this blog post, this article, this previously published, you know, content. And eventually I think it's also going to compare across your domain as well. So it can compare a student's report to maybe a report turned in by another student or a previous year, maybe an older brother or sister, and, you know, and they're reusing their report. Um, well, yeah. So Scott's question is, 
if if we start letting smart compose fill in things for us, you know, th- does that then create a loop where originality reports then start noticing, you know, similar things getting used over and over and over again? Um, that would be a, a potential, especially if it's doing um, if it is. Um, um, doing the comparison across your domain. I think right now um, it's not doing the, I think in the beta at the moment it's comparing against things that are published on the internet, but I know they want to also compare the original reports against your domain. All right. Um, all right. So what's up next, Stephanie? Uh, cloud print. So cloud print is discontinuing. So this is where you could print from a different location and then it would be kind of ready once you got there. Um, but I saw that a bid put in the comments that there is a workaround with paper cut. Um, so I'm not familiar with this, but I'm sure that okay. if you had any questions, a bid could help us too. Well, that's encouraging because I, I a mean, a lot of people were upset about this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, it's a tough, it's a tough spot because on one hand we're like, okay, you know, printing, you know, should we be printing as much as we are. And, you know, I think most of us would probably say, no, you know, we probably shouldn't print as much as we do. We should probably try to be more digital. There's a lot of benefits to being digital and sharing things digitally instead of printing them. But the reality is you you still want to print things. Sometimes you want to hang something up on the bulletin board. You want to, you know, give something to somebody who doesn't have an electronic option. You know, there, there are reasons to print. I still have paper. I do print not much. I try to do as much digitally as I can. Well, cloud print made it so easy to be able to print from a device like a Chromebook. And that's where I would say the biggest impact here is if you've got a windows device or you've got a Mac device, chances are you can print fine because there's a Windows driver and there's a Mac driver that'll print to, you know, a printer or a copier or whatever. But Chromebooks, it was a lot harder to print from them and cloud print just made it so easy. It basically went into the admin console and you set up all of your, you know, copiers or printers in there and then you made them available to the Chromebooks. And then when you log in as a Chromebook and go to print, you didn't need special drivers installed because, you know, Chromebooks don't work like that. Like, you know, you don't install a driver like on a Windows laptop. And so this allowed Chromebooks a very easy way to be able to print to pretty much any copier or printer in the building. Um, But you could also do cloud print from your phone. I've taken things from my phone and cloud printed them to the uh, printer in my office. Um, And with this going away, we definitely need some kind of other options because it doesn't mean printing is going to go away. People are, kids are still going to, there's going to be occasions when you want to print from the Chromebook and you don't want to have to say, well, share it to me, then I'll open it up on my Windows laptop, then I'll print it for you. So uh, thanks for the paper cut link. Um, I, I, I know of paper cut. I know a lot of schools use it. I'm not familiar with this mobility print that you have listed here. So I'll definitely want to look at that and see if that is uh, an alternative that some schools might benefit from. Hmm. Yeah. And we don't have Google cloud printing turned on. Um, So our students can't print from their Chromebooks. And so they do have to share with teachers. Um, But it did, I know a lot of it was budget with printing because we were afraid that kids would just print everything. 
Um, so the teachers kind of have to control that. Understandable. Absolutely understandable. All right. Well, the final thing that we have, um, and we'll then move into the rest of the meeting, the final thing from what's new in Google. Um, it's just a, a, a neat little uh, website Google has set up called My Story Time that allows you to record your own stories that then can be played back on a Google Home and shared with others. Um, and so the idea is you would head out to the My Story Time website, and when you get there, um, you could um, log in with your Google account and you could record a story or a message or whatever it is that you want to record. Once you've done that, uh, you can go to your Google Home or a Google Assistant and uh, by saying the right words, which I will not say aloud because it's already listening. My phone is already going crazy. Just what I said right there is my phone is lighting up like crazy next to me because it, 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 it can hear me. <laughs> so I won't say the words. Oh, there it goes. See? Yep. <laughs> there goes my Google Home. Um, but uh, if you say the right words, you could then have the story read back aloud and you can also share uh, your stories with other folks as again, as long as they are uh, 13 and over and have a Google account. Uh, but still, it could be a neat way to, um, you know, uh, practice, uh, you know, fluency, but also to uh, to share a story in a creative manner that could then be played back in the class for the students. So thought that one was, was clever. All right. Well, that gets us to the end of our what's new in Google. Um, if anybody has something to add to any of that, please feel free to continue doing so. We're going to move into our next two sections here, but um, we will definitely scroll back through and see if anybody's got any comments or questions um, as well. Um, oh, I do see a bit did ask about, we skipped over the, um, the item about uh, using Google um, Assistant on G Suite accounts rather than personal Google accounts. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for um, for calling that out there. Um, we you're, you're right. We, we we definitely have skipped over some of the things in here. There's just so much content. But for those who do like to use Google Assistant, which I certainly do, um, uh, in the past it was just for personal Google accounts. And there's now a beta program you can sign up for so that you can use your G Suite for Education account with Google Assistant as well. Uh, so this uh, link will take you out to that blog post. And then there is an option here to sign up for the beta form so that um, your school accounts can use Google Assistant as well. All right. Well, next up, we have uh, our Q&A and our show and tell sections. Um, and then we also, like I said, have special guests. Um, and it looks like uh, Anne has joined us. I know she's been very quiet, but at some point she snuck into here. So I do want to acknowledge, Anne, that we do see that you have jumped into the meeting with us. And we welcome you so very much. Um, and then um, what we're going to do is take, take just a couple of moments to look at the, uh, the Q&A here to see if there's uh, any questions that we can um, address for the group. Um, but then when we get to show and tell, this is where we share, um, you know, uh, neat ideas, uses for G Suite. And uh, um, we're going to uh, give Ann some time during show and tell to, to share. Uh, having said that, Ann, you can jump in at 
any point, if there's something that you want to comment on related to the um, uh, what's new in Google or the Q&A, please do not feel that you have to wait until show and tell, but we will definitely give you a proper introduction at that time. All right. So in Q&A, um, Again, we may not have answers for all of these, so we would say if you are watching this live or in the future, this is an editable document. You can definitely leave some feedback in here if you have an answer because um, uh, between everybody who's connected to this, hopefully somebody will be able to assist if we can't. Uh, so I see the first question here was asking, is there a way to limit the number of times a user can access and submit a Google form? Now, I know in the past, we've definitely talked about, um, you know, being, being able to turn on that feature in a Google form where you can only submit it once. And, you know, and so there is that option, but that's not the question here. The question is, what if you didn't want it to be one or infinite? Because that's kind of what the options are right now. If you go into a Google form, you can say you're allowed to either submit it only once or you can submit it as many times as you want. So the question is, what if you wanted to let somebody submit it three times? Now, Stephanie, it looks like you might have filled in some answers on this one. Yeah. So what I was thinking is you could copy the form three different times and then have three different links and then limit it to only one response only for each of those different links. Um, that would also help with some of that learning science with the retrieval practice because then you could shuffle the questions and they would be in different orders. So the students like wouldn't memorize the answers. Right. Um, but that's the only option that I could think of. I don't think there's a way that you could set a limit for them to right. do the test. Um, so my suggestion was the three different links. You know, and I'm drawing a blank too on that. I think your, your suggestion's a good one. Yeah, if you go into Google Forms um, right now, yeah, you can say limit to one response or not. So it's either infinite responses or one response. Um, so, you know, it would, this would be an option just to have multiple versions of the form in case there was a student who didn't pass it the first time and you wanted them to take it again. Um, that would certainly work. Um, I know um, some folks had mentioned they're using something like form limiter. Um, the problem, I guess, with that is we don't want to turn off the entire form we only want it to be limited per user. And so if I use something like form limiter, once it hits a certain limit, then it turns the form off. So then no students would be able to, um, um, you know, access it at that point. Um, but well, again, that's the whole point of throwing this out to the group. I'm sure somebody here may have a really uh, brilliant take on this of a different way that this could be um, approached. All right. Um, next up, can I make a bonus question in Google Forms? Um, and uh, yeah, the short answer is yes, you, you, you certainly can. Um, um, if you're using the built-in Google Forms features, um, I did, well, it's been a while back now, two years ago, geez, that's, that's been a while back. Um, I did a webinar on um, creating quizzes with Google Forms. And one of the things I get into there is questions. Um, but really what it comes down to, I'm guessing, Stephanie, you probably typed in this response here about making yeah. it ungraded. Yeah, I did. Yep, you're right. Um, you can basically, you can add a question that's worth zero points. And then you can 
you can go in and give it a point value, give the student a point afterwards. So the idea is when you create the question and you set how many points it's worth, you would say it's a zero point question. And then when you go to grade it later, you could award a point, even though it's one out of zero, um, Google takes it. it, it works. Google Forms will accept that. And then that way you're giving them an extra point um, that they would not have otherwise. Looks like Flubrew though as well, Stephanie, did you put that in there that yeah, it handles? I haven't done that, but I found a resource that shows how to use Flubrew. Um, I haven't used Flubrew in forever since Google right. created the quiz. Feature. Yeah. yeah. So it has been a couple years since I've used Flubrew, but um, it did say that you could do an extra credit question. You are correct. And Flubrew is a great tool and I can't say how much, you know, we appreciate that it was created uh, many years ago. You're right with the ability to do quizzes and forms now. I think Flubrew has probably fallen off a lot in use, but it still does have a couple extra cool features in there and it has supported extra credit for a long time. Um, next, can you get the finger spelling font? Um, let me see. Uh, da, da. You can add it to Google Documents, but I'm looking to add it to Google Suite. So finger spelling, um, I'm assuming, and I apologize if I don't totally know what the, whoops, I should have done font. I think it's um, the ASL. Yeah, so like this. So yeah. yeah, so what we're talking about is a font that shows each letter being, you know, shown by the hands. Well, the only thing I can say about that is if you go to uh, fonts.google.com, you can get to all of the fonts that Google supports. If it's not there, no, I am not aware of any way to add any additional fonts. It really is whatever Google has available as web fonts. There are 973 web fonts at the moment. Um, and I don't know that fingerspelling is one of them. Um, um, what you could do is submit feedback to Google and they might add it. Yeah. Um, I don't have time to scroll through all 900 right now, but I don't. There was a search feature above Eric. Right. And, and, and that would be an option too. Um, I don't know what they would call it. If they would call it the same yeah. thing or not, but, um, I don't remember I don't remember seeing it. So if it has been added, it's not something that I am aware of. So I don't think so. But I think Stephanie, your suggestion of submitting feedback saying, hey guys, this would be a great font to add would be, would be really nice, yeah. Um, could someone explain how to edit the closed captioning feature of videos you upload? Um, I have not done that in a long time. I'm assuming you mean when you upload a video to YouTube and you add closed captioning to it. Um, looks like we have some resources here. Yeah, there we go. Add your own subtitles and closed captions. I have done this, but it's been years ago. Um, basically, you can go in and create your own um, subtitle closed captioning file 
that that um, you then upload to YouTube, and then you can um, uh, after you get it uploaded, you can connect it to the different you know spots in the video to make sure that it's going along properly. Having said that, I'm going to take the easy way out here and say I have not done that in a long time just because the automatic captioning has gotten so much better over the years. I know it's not perfect, but it's gotten so much better. Um, I think the last time I did it, um, seriously, it's probably been three years ago that I went ahead and did one of my videos and uploaded a closed caption file specifically for that video. All right. And then the last question we have in here before we get into show and tell is how do you set Google Sheets size and wrap text for all cells and not just by row? Um, I'm assuming, let me open up sheets here. I'm assuming what you're, what you're asking about there is um, like turning on the wrapping text for the cells um, or the font size in there. I'm assuming what you mean is just how do you, I mean, how do you select everything? And for what I would suggest for that is if you look in the very top left-hand corner, there's this box up here that doesn't have any kind of markings on it. It's between the A and the one up here in the top left. If you click this little box or this little button up here, that selects everything in your sheet. So rather than going in and grabbing a row, excuse me, a column or a row, if you click in this top left corner, it grabs everything in the entire sheet. And then once you've grabbed everything, now you can apply like wrapping or you can apply font size or whatever to the entire sheet all at once. I'm guessing that's the question. That's that. what if, I use um, yeah. to do that. So yeah, I think that's the question. All right. Well, guys, as always, thank you for your questions. And um, if if we did not uh, have good answers for some of these, um, we would love to get um, your, your suggestions. So please feel free to type in here or share any resources you have on these as well. All right. Well, at this point, um, we definitely want to give some time for Ann. Um, so our special guest uh, this month is Ann Radefeld, and uh, we'll let Ann introduce herself a little bit. And then at that point, Ann, anything that you would like to share, we'd love to turn this over to you and give you a chance to share some show and tell resources or anything you'd like to talk about. And then, you know, afterwards, um, uh, Stephanie and I will probably pick a couple of these that we would like to uh, mention. But um, again, we're not going to go through all of these. Just what, with whatever time's left over, we may pick and choose a few of these uh, that we would like to take a look at as well. So, Ann, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Here's Ann Radefeld. Yeah. There, I wanted to make sure I was unmuted. Um, I'm Ann Radefeld. I am the curriculum facilitator in the North Royalton City Schools. I, uh, my background is high school French and German. I taught in the classroom for nine years and I have been in this position uh, for seven years. Uh, so I work with our teachers one-on-one. -on -one. I do professional developments within our district. Um, and I focus a lot on instructional technology, uh, but I really pull in the curriculum um, everywhere into, the, into everything we're doing. I, I push out our curricular initiatives through instructional technology. 
That is fantastic. And Ann and I, we've, we've, we've been friends for a while because yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in the same neck of the woods here. So we uh, run into each other quite a bit. And I can just say, I am always so impressed by everything you have to share. And I've picked up so many great ideas from you over the years. So thank you for all you do. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate that, especially coming from you. <laughs> oh, no, it's, oh, it's oh, absolutely true. Because I know you and I do a session that deals with accessibility and accommodations and special needs and stuff. And I know I've picked up some great ideas from you on that. Thank you. So what would you like to share with us today? So um, I am actually going to share a passion of mine, which is connecting classrooms. And um, some of you listening may have heard me speak on this before. Uh, I have presented on it numerous times. Uh, I sometimes call it let's hang out. Um, sometimes I call it bringing the world to your classroom. But what I like to do is uh, really connect classrooms or connect students to a world that they may not ever see. Um, just a little bit of background about me and why I like this is when I was a child, I actually lived overseas and I saw the world in such a different, through such a, so many different like perspectives. I traveled a lot. I was able to um, go to a school in England uh, when I was 11. And I moved back to the United States when I was 16. So I just, I have this international kind of experience behind me. I, I taught French, I taught German. And I think that all of our students really need to see the world outside of the four walls of their classroom. And sadly, many students will never get to see this. Uh, so what I like to do is sort of bring the world to them. Uh, one way that I have found um, works really well is through virtual field trips. And what I like to do with virtual field trips is really find some, some great um, areas, great sites that connect into the curriculum and set up the field trip with that organization and allow the students to learn about a different area of the world uh, and maybe ask questions or, you know, see pictures, see videos of somewhere outside of, of their hometown. Uh, a couple of virtual field trips that I've done that have been extremely successful. One is, is um, through the national park system. Denali National Parks, they offer science of sled dogs. And in third grade, one of the standards is to talk, science standards is to talk about adaptations. Um, and our science teachers in North Royalton, uh, they they really talk a lot about um, the sled dogs. They read Balto. They, you know, talk about this in the winter. Some of our, our teachers will follow the, the Iditarod um, and science of sled dogs really ties in well with this. The park rangers at Denali are incredible with our third graders. They um, give them about a 45 minute program for free. Uh, they incorporate games and activities so that it's interactive and it is just by far probably the best program I've ever seen. I like using the National Park Service because all of their programming is free. So if you have an idea of a park you'd like to visit um, and take your students to visit, you can go on the park's website. If you see they offer distance learning, it is always free. It is our tax dollars paying for it, as somebody told me. Uh, another national park uh, program that I did that was really great was actually um, about Thomas Edison. And it was 
at his, his um, facility, I guess you could call it, in Orange, New Jersey. And the park ranger there took an iPad and guided the students through Thomas Edison's factory and his library and where he slept. And I will tell you, this, the students were just astounded at what they saw. So virtual field trips and um, using the National Park Service is really an incredible, incredible resource. You might wonder how I came upon this initially because I just didn't know. Um, I just didn't know that the National Park Service offered this, but I actually found this through Skype for Education. And I know this is a Google group meeting, so I'm sorry, Eric and Stephanie, <laughs> but like I did that. find this through, um, through Skype for Education. And Skype for Education, although the search is not very good, they have some um, ways to connect your classroom. So if you look on the site, and Eric, I think, or Stephanie is searching right now, that first link is, is virtual field trips you can click on that virtual field trip and you can, you can go through here and it says search by subject, age, group, and location. It, there, the search is not quite there. But if you look at some of these, um, they, they are overseas, they are in the United States. I see here wonders of Yellowstone. Yellowstone actually has a um, just meet the ranger where you can ask questions to the, uh, the Yellowstone ranger that is there. Um, it, it's, it's really a, a great way to connect the curriculum. Um, I actually used Skype for Education a few years ago and a seventh grade teacher asked me to find virtual field trips in various biomes. And so we did, I think, four different field trips, um, one of which was actually an underwater lab off the coast of Florida. So pretty cool for those kids to see. Um, one other location that I can point you to is CILC.org. And uh, CILC.org, I do have a login for this site. You have, to, um, you have to sign up for it, but the sign up is free. However, the programming inside is not all free. So we have just um, a small budget for distance learning inside of our district, but this is a way that you can search. This Aztec Maya and more that you just scrolled up, you can see that's by Cleveland Museum of Art. Um, that actually is a program that we did a few years ago. We got a grant um, through our uh, educational foundation to do some distance learning and one of our teachers did this program. The art museum programs are very well done as well. So those are bringing other places to your students, but I also like to bring other students to my students. And one way that I do this is through mystery hangouts um, or mystery location game, where I match up my class with a class throughout the United States or even somewhere else in the world. And they play a guessing game. Um, and they ask yes and no questions back and forth until they figure out where where the classes are located. And usually if we have time, we'll share some, uh, we'll share some facts about our state, state or about our school. And the way that I find these groups or these other classrooms, I used to always find them on Google+. But as Eric said earlier in this recording today or in this um, meeting today, Google+, has some limited capabilities now. But there are still some classrooms um, or still some teachers that are connected on Google+. 
There is one called Connected Classrooms, and that's probably my preferred one. The other one is called um, Hangouts in Education. And I'm on my side, I'm also going to Google Plus so I can just take a quick look at it. So in Google Plus, these are different communities. Um, so two of them, Google Hangouts in Education and then Connected Classrooms for G Suite EDU. So Eric is pulling those up. What I do is I will go in and I will submit a post in one of these. Actually, I always cross post. Um, you can actually see it, see a post right here um, in the in Kristen Druin on the, the um, right-hand side of your screen, New Hampshire Google sign up, Google Hangout, Hangout sign up. And she is looking for classrooms. So if you are interested, you know, it looks like her time's are a little bit later though, January from 3.30 to 4.30. So I know that doesn't work in our district, but I always make sure I put my contact information and put the dates I'm interested in and also the times I'm interested in. Uh, so, you know, I, this is how I search for other classrooms. I also now use Facebook groups. There are um, a lot of these Google uh, plus communities moved over or migrated to Facebook groups. So the same ones exist in Facebook and I will post out in those locations as well. So we've got the virtual field trips, we've got the classrooms, and sometimes I like to bring just one expert to my classroom and maybe somebody who is, you know, really well schooled in something. Um, for this, I always tend to go to Skype a scientist because many of my science teachers are looking for experts. And on Skype a scientist, you can, you can request the type of scientist that you would like to Skype with. So on this website, you can see want to chat with a scientist, sign up here. It's uh, towards the bottom of your screen there, Eric. Yep, and they send, send you to a Google form. And if you keep scrolling down, you will see uh, keep scrolling, they ask you what type of scientist you would like. And so what you can do is request that scientist. You will get contacted back by that scientist, but also Skype a scientist will send you a message saying, you know, here is, or you've been matched with a scientist. You may contact the scientist or you may wait for the scientist to contact you. So these are all live sessions. Um, I have had some incredible scientists I just did um, uh, environmental science with one of our seventh grade teachers, and we found four different scientists to talk to her classes. And some were in, um, we had one who was in Italy, we had one who was in England, uh, and then there were a few in the United States. So really, this is just a great opportunity to uh, get our kids some, some access to the, the world around them. So that was a lot, Eric. Um, I don't know if you have any questions or if you've seen any questions yeah. come up. Well, um, so excellent. First of all, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, I guess a few things that um, I would uh, throw out as well in this. Um, one would be in if you're Ohio-based, um, uh, which I think most people here are. I know we've got some folks who have joined us from outside of Ohio, and we appreciate that everybody's welcome at these meetings. Um, um, but Ohio does have a organization called Ohio DLA, the Ohio Distance Learning Association. Um, 
and I'll pull that over here onto the screen as well. And this is something that uh, districts around the state can join. And um, I might not remember exactly correctly. I know there used to be a cost, uh, like a membership cost. And there's a part of me that thinks, and I'm so sorry if I'm saying this wrong, but I think it ended up getting covered this year um, through some funding so that anybody who wanted to could join. Uh, but this is a um, statewide um, organization that focuses on distance learning in the state of Ohio and being able to connect people with um, uh, resources and programs and exactly the type of stuff that you're talking about there. Um, so I think that would be good to get on people's radar. Um, and we can throw some of these links into the agenda as well so that people can, can get to these. Um, and then another one that is more my neck of the woods um, is Kent State. And what Kent State does is they bring in featured speakers each year to speak um, at the Kent State Stark Branch, which actually is where, I mean, I work at the Stark County ESC, but we're on their property. We're, you know, we're in the same, so Stark State, Kent State, and the Stark County ESC, we all share the same physical grounds. And so they bring in um, speakers, like you know, nationally and worldwide recognized speakers each year to come and speak in person. But what they do is they say, well, since we're gonna have you come in and speak in person, would you also be willing to do a video conference for schools earlier in the day? So like they're speaking that night at six or seven, but then at one in the afternoon, they'll do a, you know, um, uh, basically a, a, a Google Hangout or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and so I do have a link that um, I can put into and I'll pull over the form for that. And again, it changes every year. Um, at the moment, we're only down to one more this year, um, they, they've had, again, they've had loads of amazing speakers in the past years. Um, what we're down to is uh, Brian uh, Terrell Clark is going to be speaking on March 10th, and his uh, bio is here. Um, and uh, this is something that is, you know, open to all the schools around here to sign up if they want to participate in that. Um, and um, it is a first come, first serve thing, but Kent State has three to four of these every year. And like I said, I would be more than happy to copy and paste um, some of these into the agenda under the section here on, um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll grab that here. Let me grab the link for that and I'll put that in. Uh, and then people can kind of keep an eye on that in the future um, if this one that's coming up doesn't fit for them right now. Um, they can keep an eye on it each year because they'll add, um, you know, new speakers every year to that. Eric, as you're saying that, um, and I was glancing at the website as, as you were pulling it up there, and I saw, you know, having a guest, a guest spot in there um, as part of the, the experience. I, you made me think of one other website that I've used a few times. I haven't used it recently, um, but it is set up the same way. It's called Exploring by the Seat, and uh, it, it's mostly science content, um, and you can sign up for a, a guest spot uh, on these Hangouts um, because they only have so many like uh, live, you know, you can see the Hangout, but you, you can't always participate live with the, the group. So if you explore this a little bit, you'll see, you know, 
um, like this con conservation in action. Uh, they have um, people like they have space explorers, they have marine biologists, but this is very science oriented. They do probably about six or seven of the uh, hangouts per month. And so this would be a, a great spot to go to for some, some um, content and some virtual experiences. That is excellent. Um, and, th and then I think, let me see if I can find, I'm gonna do a quick search on my own here and hopefully I will find it. I had a pretty decent um, res resource on mystery hangouts. And so I'm gonna look for that. Um, on my own separately here. Um, and if I can find that, I will add that in as well. Cause I know you had mentioned mm -hmm. doing mystery hangouts and I do recall having a decent resource on that, but I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll look off to the side here um, and see if I can find it. And if so, I'll link that in here as, as well. So. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Anne. That was awesome. Sharing all those resources. Um, I think I got most of the links, but if I did leave any out, if you could add them to the list. Okay, absolutely. Um, but I think that's very helpful. And I think a lot of people will want to try these different hangouts, um, whether it's with the scientists or the mystery hangouts. That's one of my favorites. The kids get so excited playing mm -hmm. that game. They do. Well, excellent. And um, again, if you've got anything else you would like to share, uh, feel free to continue to hang with us. Well, all we're going to do in the time that we have left is pick a couple, just a few out of our show and tell of things that maybe jumped out to us that we wanted to uh, mention to the group. And then we'll do one last um, uh, scroll through the doc to make sure we haven't missed anything and um, and then be wrapping things up. Uh, so anything else to share at the moment, Ann? Oh, I think she logged out. Nope, she logged out? Okay, that's <laughs> fine. No problem, we appreciated her being here with us. All right, well, let's take a look then at just, we'll pick and choose a few things of our show and tell. Um, so um, I would say, and these are not in any particular order, um, one that I thought was at least worth taking a quick look at here was the slides randomizer post that Richard Byrne did recently. Richard does free tech for teachers. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with his uh, blog and the, the ideas he shares. He was talking recently about using the slide randomizer add-on for Google Slides. And what I liked about this post was he was talking about some creative ways to use it. Because a lot of times we think about, well, what can I do with slide randomizer? And I know that a lot of times we think about it being like for flashcards. And I actually have a post that I did on using a tool like that to learn your students at the start of the year. Basically create a slideshow, share it with all your kids, let every student go in and edit one slide where they put in their picture and some facts about themselves. And then um, I've got animations on it so that it would, you know, reveal each piece as it goes. And then you could use like a slide randomizer tool to mix them up and then quiz yourself as you learn your kids, like their picture would come up. And then as you click, it would then bring up, you know, their, their name and things about them. Well, I thought he had a neat twist on this. He talked about, what about this? What about doing a whole bunch of slides that are actually in a sequence where maybe each slide is a picture of a portion of a, um, you know, of, of a process and or telling a story or whatever it might be. But then use slides randomizer to shuffle the slides and then the students would use 
you know how in slides you can switch between the regular view and like the grid view where you see all the different slides, the kids would have to rearrange the slides then to put them back in the correct order to tell the story or to properly go through the process. And I thought, well, that was clever. That was, you know, uh, a neat, a neat twist on using a tool like that. And I thought that was um, uh, one that would be fun to try out. All right. What's something you'd like to share, Stephanie? Um, so the one to make a podcast, it's by Google's keyword blog. Um, I use Google's podcast when I listen to podcasts. Um, I'm a huge podcast fan. I love listening to them. Yeah. And it just was really nice to have like an outline for students to think about for them to start podcasting. Um, so it like kind of talked about define who your audience is for the podcast. And I think um, I know with going through the Google Innovator Academy, they're so focused on the user. So remembering who is your audience. Um, and then it just kind of takes them through some other steps. So I just thought this was kind of a cool idea. Um, could be used with students um, because I know podcasting is really huge. And with audio coming into slides, you could maybe have a classroom podcast that would be published to a Google slide. Love it. Very good. Excellent. Um, another one that I thought was worth mentioning um, was uh, a feature built into the mobile version of Google Drive that I honestly didn't know was there, and that is the ability to scan documents with your phone. So if you have the Google Drive mobile app on your phone, um, you can go to the Google Drive app, click the little plus icon, like you want to add something, the little plus icon that you want to add something to your drive, and when you do it opens up this option, which we normally are used to seeing, create a new folder, upload a file. But if it's on your phone, it has another button that says scan. And I just, I just maybe it's been there forever and I didn't even realize it was there. Um, I guess on iOS, it says use camera. And on Android, it says scan. Um, but basically, you click the plus button, you click scan, and then you take a picture of the thing you want to scan. And after you take a picture, it allows you to use the cropping feature to clean it up and get it all squared up. And then if you need to add more pages, you can continue to add more and it will just let you keep scanning in page after page. And you can basically scan in a document and it will save it as a, a PDF for you um, after it's done that. So I thought, oh, that's, pretty slick. <laughs> Didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that was an option either. And I actually have special ed teachers that need that option. Um, so I'm actually emailing our spec special ed um, yeah. lady right now about that. <laughs> That's great. Um, and I do see we have a, a comment in the YouTube uh, chat about the PhotoScan app um, as well. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, the PhotoScan app is a specific um, mobile app that allows you to take a picture of pictures. So you say, well, why would you do that? Well, it actually has you take like four pictures of a picture and then it uses some AI to blend it together to get the best version of that image and to avoid like, you know, you know how you get reflections and stuff on a photo. Um, so you don't get all that weird, like you know, there's not gonna be a light reflection on it and then you can trim it up as well. So if you wanted to, you know, digitize some physical photos you had, the Google PhotoScan app is a good one for that. So thanks for mentioning that in the chat. Um, the next one I wanted to show was the slip and slide. Okay. I love the name of this extension or this, um, I think it's an add-on. Add-on, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
And so a lot of times, you know, you send out a Google slide to students and then you later are like, oh, I forgot to add this one slide. And this is an extension um, add-on that you can do that with. So I just oh, thought it was really cool. Really? That you, because I mean, so many times I'm like, oh, I don't want to share this yet. Or I forgot to add this to their Google slide. And it's a very easy way to do that. I haven't done it yet, but I just found out about it. Huh. Um, but the comments below, it says that they've worked um, and it seems to be working really well. So I can't wait to try this out when I get back from maternity leave. Oh, wow. So, so basically, yeah. So you've already maybe assign something to students, but now you want to go back in and add another slide into the presentations yeah. and it goes out and it puts it in there yeah. after and the fact. So often like you want to do that or you don't want to share. I've got to test. I've got to try this out too. Yeah. I need so to take need to that plan it out, but I was waiting until I got back. That looks like a really useful thing. So, Yes, is it integrates with Google Classroom, mm -hmm. so that's going to go to that folder where they're sitting at, and then it's going to go ahead and append or you know s stick in that additional slide to each of the slideshows in that folder. Oh, I love it! Thanks for sharing that. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then let me see what else was I going to mention here. Um, this next one um, called Speech Texture is one that even though this is not a Google uh, product, um, I, I want to mention it because it ties in with the idea of voice typing in Google Docs. And that is um, when we use Google Docs, we can click on tools and voice typing, click on the microphone, and then we can just dictate right to our docs, which is a wonderful feature. Um, well, what if? What if you had a situation where maybe the students don't have access to that. Now, why, why wouldn't they? Well, it could be, for example, maybe they're not able to sign into their Google account. Um, maybe they don't have a Google account. Maybe they're really young students, or maybe um, they are um, having, uh, I've seen some districts where unfortunately voice typing is turned off or is, is blocked because of some filtering. Well, speech texture is a, basically very, very simple um, um, writing tool here. Whoops, didn't mean to click on the Grammarly thing there. Sorry about that. Let me try that again. Um, there we go. Here it comes. Um, so if I click start dictating, what it does is it gives me basically a little mini version of like Google Docs. So it's not as fancy as Google Docs. Um, it you know, just has some basic formatting, but it does have the ability to come in here and click start. And let's see if I can get that to work. This is just a test. And there we go. And so it works very much like what we do in Google Docs, but there's no login required. You don't have to log in. You can just go to the site, start talking. It'll type up whatever you say. And then, of course, you could copy and paste this into something else later if you needed. So as much as I will probably always, always, always recommend voice typing in Docs, I just, I'm always glad to have an alternative. If somebody says, yeah, but we can't do that because... It's nice to have another option in your pocket. And so this is one to consider. All right. Anything else you'd like to mention, Stephanie? Um, I was going to bring up the audio and slides, and you could change the image, which I just found out about on Twitter um, through this GIF that Mike showed. Um, so you know how it has, like, the speaker yeah. option. And instead of having that speaker, you can actually change this to an image 
So you don't have that little microphone looking thing. Oh. You just go to replace image and then you can search. Oh my goodness. You do, and it will change it to that image, which I thought was really cool. And I had no oh. idea you could do that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I thought it would help students with their presentations if they didn't want that little speaker oh my in the corner. So I thought that was really cool. And it was a quick, easy way to change it. That is so awesome. So yeah, I had done, you know, a lot of that audio and slides back when it first came out. And I did that, a sample slideshow of um, long and short vowel sounds. And what I had to do was I had to basically, I added the audio in and then I added the clip art in separately. And then I uh, put the little audio button on top of the clip art and I used the grouping feature to stick it to it. Um, but so technically I could just change the image to be the clip art. I wouldn't have needed the separate, you know, uh, audio button from the image and they could just click right on it. Oh, that's so cool. Oh my yeah. gosh. That is fantastic. I yeah, absolutely that love that. Oh my gosh. Learn something new every day. That is the <laughs> coolest thing. And yeah, it just makes it so much easier just to click right on the picture. And yeah. And do it. Dan oh. just said that's perfect for ELL. Um, so English learners yeah. and yes. then it's good for foreign language too. So. <sighs> Well, thanks, Mike. That is awesome. Mike shares so many good things. All right. Well, the last one I was going to mention out of this, and again, there's you know so many great things. Please check out all of these. Um, I have had some questions recently um, from folks uh, about the priority page in Google Drive. Um, done a few trainings recently that involved some uh, Google Drive overview things and noticed that pr the priority page was a little bit of a pain point for some people um, because maybe they were just misunderstanding, you know, what it is that when you go to Google Drive at the top of Google Drive, you do get this little ribbon of uh, priority. Uh, well, the, well, if you click on the priority page, you get this ribbon of uh, these um, you know, items that Google is suggesting saying, hey, these may be some files we think you might want to open, like you seem to open them a lot, or, you know, every, you know, beginning of the month, you seem to pull open this log file. So we're going to pull it up here for you. And i had seen some people getting a little confused by that, like, they weren't sure are those files actually there in the priority page or are they somewhere else in your drive and it's just pulling them together, which is the case. They are somewhere else in your drive. It's just bringing them in one place for you. And so I was happy that, that Jeremy Badinger went ahead and put together a blog post just to give a nice overview of, okay, this is what the priority page is all about. If you go here, you're going to see some commonly accessed files. And then the idea of creating workspaces. If you want to have some files that you pull together for a project you're working on, you can create that workspace and then drop things into it. Uh, this is not a new thing. We've had priority page for a while now, but I'm noticing some folks are finally kind of seeing it and getting maybe a little confused by it um, now that um, they're, they're seeing it pop up. And so I appreciated Jeremy putting together a very clear blog post on how that works. Anything else you'd like to add, Stephanie? Um, I just wanted to show the red ball challenge. Um, so sure. one of my teachers, she posted this on Twitter. Um, and I thought it was really cool. The students are working together and you can see the ball traveling through the Chromebooks to the other Chromebook. Um, and then it goes to the final Chromebook 
And so they had to work together to create this animation, yeah. which I thought was really cool. And um, she teaches technology. So I was like, what a great activity. If you're in school tomorrow, um, right before Thanksgiving break, this could be a fun challenge for kids. And I've never heard of the red ball challenge. So I don't know if this is a thing. Yeah. Um, but I just I, thought it was really cool. <laughs> right. So I first heard about it a couple maybe two years ago, because I did a lot of training on stop motion animation using Google Slides, but I didn't know about the Red Ball Challenge. So I would go and I would do these trainings of how to use Google Slides and make stop motion animation. Somebody in one of my sessions said, hey, have you heard of the Red Ball Challenge? I said, nope. <laughs> and so we Googled it right on the spot and I added it to my agenda. So now that shows up anytime I do a training on stop motion animation, because that's basically what they're doing is they're playing Google Slides and the Google Slides slideshow is playing really fast and it's animating this red ball. But what they're doing is taking it a step further. They're having multiple Chromebooks with slideshows so that when the slideshows play, Chromebook number two has like, you know, a whole bunch of blank slides until it gets to slide 100 and then suddenly the ball appears. And as long as they hit play at the same time on each of these, you know, they'll, they'll be in sync in that sense. So it looks like the ball is crossing over. But what a, what a great way to learn about slides, stop motion animation, but also working together. Oh, that's great. Well, very, very good. Well, all of that, I think, is wonderful. And even still, we have not covered all of the things in this document. So I would encourage you, if there is something we did not get into here today, please do click the links, explore some more. Um, uh, there's probably a lot of hidden gems that we did not get a chance to uh, dive into. Um, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to take a quick look to make sure that there aren't any uh, questions or comments or anything else that we have missed. As I'm there was one by Star. Um, okay. Her question about, I know you showed on the Google Sheet how to resize and wrap text and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But she said her question was more when um, users submit a Google form, oh, which I have that right. issue too. So I don't yeah. know. I think you might just have to wait until everybody's submitted and then do that trick. Right. So basically, uh, here's what's happening. Yeah, good, good question. So when you submit a Google form, it does not put the data on the next available blank row. It actually inserts a new row into the spreadsheet. So when the Google form is submitted, an entire brand new row gets created at that time. And um, that would probably make sense as to why you're not seeing the same formatting applied to it as that comes in. Um, I would want to poke a stick at that and see if there's a way to trick it and work around it. But Stephanie, your suggestion, yeah, probably makes sense that you may have to every now and then go in and select all of the sheet and then reapply some of that formatting. But that's why it's happening. It's not that the form is somehow breaking the sheet. It's just that it's actually inserting an entirely new row every time you submit the form. All right. Well, as we wrap up here, we do want to give a few last reminders. One is please do fill out the sign-in sheet if you did not get a chance to do that. Um, on the second page of the agenda, there's a spot called Important Links. Highlighted in green, you will see a sign-in form. This sign-in form allows you to um, 
record your attendance at the meeting today so that I can send you a certificate of attendance for being here. And if you did not attend live, that's okay. If you watch this later on as a video, um, that's perfectly fine too. We appreciate uh, you watching whether it's live or after the fact. And um, I will then send out certificates of attendance um, in the future on that. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, we want to remind you that you can always stay plugged in in between our meetings by being a member of our um, email distribution group. So under the update section, there is the GEG Ohio Google group that you can join. And that way you can send questions or if you have uh, resources to share and need to connect in between our meetings, that's a great way to stay in touch with everybody. Um, our next meeting won't be till January. We are taking a break in December for the holidays, but we'll roll all the new updates um, into our January meeting. As always, you can go to bit.ly slash GEGOhio to get to all of the resources and see the dates and times, access the agendas and the uh, links there as well. Uh, anything else you would like to add as we uh, wrap up here today, Stephanie? Um, again, everybody, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you for also adding to the Google Doc. It does help when the community adds and suggests other ideas and comments on the um, yes. chat. I appreciate all that. Um, and then also just a reminder that the podcast, so please share that the podcast will be out too and join us on Twitter. Absolutely. Appreciate Stephanie doing that with the podcast. So the audio from this does get pulled out and uh, Stephanie has through Anchor has set up a podcast, which is another great way to be able to uh, listen to all the content that we have shared. Well, guys, thanks again so very much for being here today. It's always a pleasure. We wish you the best with the upcoming holidays and look forward to seeing you at conferences in person um, and uh, back virtually again in January uh, thanks so much. Take care and see you guys later.